Well, good day, Fellowship family. It's great to have you here as we're concluding our four-week series on sexuality. And it's called Unashamed. It's taken from the scriptures in Genesis chapter 2, where the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. And yet when we uh, talk about this topic, I know there's a lot of shame and guilt associated with it. And so we provided some resources for you. Number one, we have a uh, an opportunity for you to connect with someone if you want to talk with them. And uh, we've set up a special line at 785-435-9405. And if you just text TALK to that, we will have someone who um, would love to listen and pray with you and help you take next steps in either finding healing or finding hope in this topic. We also want to create a safe environment online, and if you uh, would like some accountability with that, there's an app called Custodio. We really like this app because it shows the overall picture of uh, what your family's viewing online, and we want to give you a help and a hand in this area. Um, uh, Weeks ago, I talked about uh, 18% of all internet sites are porn, and uh, that's just killing our families. And so we want to give you an opportunity to at least protect your family and even protect your own eyes as you look at that. Uh, or you not look at that. How about that? Okay, so th- we've been looking, and these are the four weeks and the series that, that we've been going, the topics for each week. Uh, the first week we looked at God and sex. What's the biblical view of human sexuality? And we learned that God has designed each of us and crafted us in his image. So we are spiritual before we're sexual. Although he's created us with a sexual identity, he has created us first and foremost with a spiritual identity to know him, to long after him, and to be fulfilled and satisfied in him. We talked about sex and you and how do you process uh, this whole picture of having a desire in your life and wanting to fulfill that desire. We talked about a hookup culture in our world and how, how that really uh, picks, at, picks away at God's best and celebrates sex at its worst and ignores the covenant and commitment that God has created sexual expression to experience. Last week, David Hinkle did a wonderful message on sex and others. And so this week, we're talking about sex and the church. Had a guy say, boy, I'm really excited about week four because you're going to be talking about sex in the church. I said, no, we're talking about sex and the church. And so we think about sex and the church. We're talking about purity. As the scriptures talk about the church, it talks about us being the bride of Christ. And that right now, the groom, Jesus, is preparing us for eternity with him. As you put your faith and trust in Christ, you become part of the bride of Christ. And so we want to look forward with expectation and anticipation. That day when Christ will return, we will be fully and finally healed, restored, our broken sexuality, which involves everyone in this room, will be, will be fixed, will be restored, will be redeemed at this full and final restoration and reconciliation at the return of Christ. So right now, we're to be the church. We're to be his people. We're to be that bride that saves herself for her husband. And we're to be pure, we're to practice purity in this area. I don't know, when you think about purity, it's kind of a high bar, isn't it? It's kind of one of those things if you grew up around the church and wore a purity ring, okay, and you didn't fulfill the requirements of the purity ring. There's a lot of shame and guilt around this topic when we talk about purity. 
But I want to, on your notes, if you look on your notes, there's just four blanks this morning. And what I want to kind of lead with, I want to lead with four key values to leave a spiritual imprint in a sexually charged world. We as a church are the bride of Christ. And so we want to be able to talk about this. That's another person said, how long are you going to be talking about sex? I said, until we no longer struggle with it. (laughs) And that means we we want to create a space where we can talk about this in church and uh, have meaningful conversations. And so as we do that, I have the first value that I want to be, and that is clear. I want to be clear about this. And by that, what do the scriptures teach us about the heart of God? Uh, a lot of people study the Bible and put a lot of time into studying the Bible to know the Bible. But the, the, the object and the goal of studying the Bible and to understand what the scriptures are saying is to know and understand God. It's an invitation to listen to him and to follow him. And so it's important that you at least know and understand the heart of God for your sexual identity in the scriptures. That's important. That's important. And when I talk about this, what I, the image I want to leave you with is just the water, water, drinking water. Here in the United States, we have um, a great amount of trust in our water system. I mean, unless you live in Flint, Michigan, you'll have, you pretty much go to any faucet and you'll drink from it. Not so the case in India. I've traveled to India and on my departure, um, an Indian pastor, just a dear man, gave me a fruit drink that had Indian tap water in it. And it was so sweet and it was so good. But look out. I mean, I don't want to give you too much information on a Sunday morning. But let's just say um, what was on my inside wanted to come on the outside. And here I am in the um, Indian airport and I run... <laughs> Okay, let's just stop right there. I won't share anymore. Let's just say it's nuts. It's totally humbled me when I realized it was just a drink. It was just a drink. I also learned this in the Dominican Republic. And so I no longer trust water outside in these, in these developing countries because they just reap havoc in my, in with my system. But here I don't have a problem with that. And so what, what is going on is number one, when I drink water here, I know it will satisfy my thirst, right? But at the same time, it will be good for my system. It's good. It won't reap havoc in my life. And when you think about, uh, sexual integrity, what we want you to not just be satisfied in sexual integrity, but we also want it to be good for you. That as you practice this as God's best for your life, that it will be good for you. It won't reap destruction. It won't uh, tear you apart from the relation God has ordained you to have. Paul talks about this uh, a clear picture of uh, sexual integrity inside of marriage when he, he calls us to love each other inside of marriage. Look at it, Ephesians chapter 5 beginning with verse 25. He says this, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Just a quick point, and we talked about this in weeks before. Love is giving yourself up for someone. Lust is showing up to get. Lust is all about self-gratification. Love is all about Christ glorification. 
So there's a difference. There's a difference in the way Jesus loves you and there's a difference in the way you're to love him and others. We show up to give ourselves to someone and to give ourselves to the Lord, not to get from him. The American version of of a relationship with God is, God, do this for me, do that for me. If you don't, I'm ticked. And if I go through suffering, I'm not, you can't be in my life. And really, we have to show up to give, to give to him. As Christ loved us, the church, and gave himself up for us. And then look at what the work of Christ is doing, verse 26, that he might sanctify her. And all sanctification is, is God setting us apart for his purposes. Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he may present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands. Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Therefore, and and that's where Paul quotes all the way back in Genesis chapter two. Therefore, a man will leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. That one flesh environment is inside the covenant of one man, one woman relationship called marriage. And it's a covenant, not a contract. A contract says you do your part and I'll do my part. A covenant says no matter what, I'm with you. And I'm with you till death do we part. Now, before we move on, all of us, all of us long to be fully known and fully loved. Warts and all, acceptance. And that's the picture. We all long for that. And marriage provides us that opportunity to be fully known and fully loved. We kind of want to separate marriage and commitment and responsibility and covenant from sex in our world today. So we can practice that as long as we can wait for that. And that's why in the hookup culture, over 90% of those involved on a weekly basis on a hookup culture still want a marriage someday. Just not now. Why? Because it gets in the way of my career, my education, all these other things, strings attached, all those other things that I'm not ready to commit to now. But someday along the line, I'll want that. Folks, here's the deal. You'll never, you'll never... Get God's best through celebrating sex at its worst. You'll never do that. And that's why what the words of Jeremiah uh, ring true in our culture today. Jeremiah gets the word from the Lord, and the word of the Lord says this. My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they hewed out for uh, cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Instead of coming to God's best for us, we go and pursue our own little ways. And instead of fulfillment, instead of satisfaction, it it just becomes areas that just charge us for a while, become band-aids, and don't really solve the issue within us. We need to be clear about this. And I would just say this. Are you clear about what the scriptures talk about when it talks about sexual integrity? Because you'll never become a person of the truth when we're living in a lie. And I just want to say this, especially as we think about the sexual culture in our world that we have to say no to in order to say yes to God. Folks, none of us are a game. 
You are worth far more. You are worth far more than a filtered picture on a Tinder site or any other dating site. You are worth far more than just anything swiping right could ever tell you or give you in life. You have value. You are priceless. You are eternal. Your God who crafted you in his image. He's created you with a spiritual longing that even the longing for sex cannot satisfy. And that's why we have to come to God and understand we've been crafted in his image to know him, to long after him, to love him with our first and our best. And every other relationship is affected by that. So we need to be people who are willing to see a clear picture of God in the scriptures and a clear direction for God from the scriptures. We talked about this a lot, that our longing leads to our looking. And if we long for relationship, we long for companionship, we long to have people admire our beauty, we long to have people want to be close and intimate physically with us, it will lead our looking. That's why we're called to long after God first, because it'll move our looking and it'll move our eyes to look in his word first. That's really important that we're clear on this topic. Uh, Second of all, we want to be consistent. And by consistent, what I mean is that our lives are aligned with the word of God. In other words, we aren't just people who believe the Bible. We actually behave in a way that's consistent with the scriptures. And that's why a Christ follower, here's just a real simple definition of a Christ follower. They follow Jesus. (laughs) And, and so it doesn't get much complicated, more complicated than that in definition. But in practice, it's much more of a struggle, isn't it? To behave in the way that's consistent with what you say, with what you do. That's really important. To a church in Ephesus, Paul wrote to a man there who was a pastor named Timothy. And he wrote in Second Timothy chapter 4, he says this, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge to is to judge the living and the dead by, and by his appearing in his kingdom. He says, Timothy, preach the word. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For a time is coming. A time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Boy, This is so true. This is so true, especially with sexuality and our viewpoint of sexuality in our world today. It's that we go to the scriptures and we try to have the scriptures validate how we want to live. And yet the scriptures, basically, in a relationship with Christ, we give up that right. I give up that right. And as a follower of Jesus, if you're here and a follower of Jesus, you give up your right to live however you want to. You really do. We kind of think it's the American view of Christianity that I'm going to go this way and Jesus, you better bless it. You better do it or else you don't love and you don't care for me. And we have a God who has been around the Alpha and Omega from far before the beginning of human time. And he will exist forever and ever. He knows our best. He created us. He crafted us in his image with a sexual identity, but with first a spiritual identity. And that's why we've got to be careful. We can make the Bible say whatever it wants to say on this issue. And I have it. I remember a guy was in my office many years ago. And he said, you know, today, Joe, I opened the Bible and it just read, I just read just a phrase. He said, get out. So I'm leaving my wife this afternoon. (laughs) What passage did you read? I don't know, but it's in there. 
I said, I guess I could find a verb or do, you know, check out something where I just do a search, get out, and I'd find it somewhere in the same verse. But we can make the Bible say whatever we want to say. So when the Bible says something, what does it mean? What does it mean? That's where we have to make that next step. And are we open? Do we want our itching ears scratched? You know, say what I want to hear. Don't mess with me, pastor. <laughs> I've had that. I've had people call and tell me they're leaving because we talked about this issue. Please, please. We come to God to worship him, <laughs> to lay down our lives at his feet, not to have him serve us. And so we've got to be consistent in this. And not just knowing it, but doing it. I just want to be real open here. Our world right now is calling people out for sexual immorality. The Me Too movement is calling out men, which is a majority, as well as some women who use their power and position to abuse and exploit others sexually. But there will come a time when that's no longer addressed. I'm convinced of that in my lifetime. That will no longer be addressed as it is being addressed today. We will still be consistent with the scriptures. We will. We will. That means that if there is anything in a leader's life here, in the area of sexual immorality that is inconsistent with the scriptures for a leader, we'll have to step down. It's really important to us that who I am publicly is the same man of who I am privately. That I'm the same guy with you that I am with my wife and with my children. There's no difference. There's not, I'm this way with them and I'm this way in front of here. I, I want to be authentic. And all of our leaders are called into this authenticity. So if one of our leaders has a shadow mission in their lives and has a secret dark room that's practicing sexual immorality... We're going to call him on it. We're not going to hide behind it. We're not going to hide it. It's worried about church growth because we don't want people to find out there's problems with our leaders. No, we, uh, we will address a scandal if it's here. And I say this from experience. We've done this. We've done this. And it's never just to humiliate and tear down someone, but it's to come alongside them and call them out of darkness into light, out of the lie into the truth, and love them deeply through this. And we're committed to them to be consistent with God's word in their lives. I can't tell you how many denominations of friends I've heard who've just been hurt in this area because a pastor in their church goes to go, moves to another church where he's had sexual immorality or abuse has happened in, in a church and it's never been addressed. The priest or the pastor has just moved to the other church. We, that is, that is just out of accountability and out of God's heart for a Christian leader. So we will call it not to be self-righteous, but to come alongside and lead people back to the truth. It's important that we're consistent. We're also consistent. We want to be consistent um, to hold to the truth, but also love people who are struggling with the truth. And you know, we, we, we've dedicated four weekends to this. And we, we've done it because although we could have done a workshop on sexual identity, we wanted everyone who comes here, whether or not you've put your faith and trust in Christ, to hear this simple, clear, consistent message throughout the scriptures. 
And you know what? It's not going to go away after we quit preaching about it this weekend, okay? Next week, we're going to start the New Testament book of Titus. Um, and we're not going to address it in this way, but we're still committed to sexual integrity as a church. And we want to provide a help and a hand in healing to everyone affected by this brokenness. So we want to be clear. We want to be consistent. Thirdly, we want to be compelling. And by compelling, what I mean is we want to provide. If God is going to say no to our culture and the practices of sexual immorality, then he's going to say yes to something even better for us. We need to be people who are living the yes of God. And let me give you a picture, because several years ago, my mother-in-law said, um, hey, Joe and Cheryl, I'd like to take you to Hawaii. Would you like to go? And I stood up first. I said, well, let, let me think and pray about it. Yes, yes, I'll go to Hawaii with you. If someone has to suffer for Jesus, I will go. And so one of the things I love to do wherever I'm traveling and there's ocean water is I love to snorkel. And so we went as a family to this place. It's called Hanoma Bay on Oahu. And we, we approach it from, from the cliff and you can oversee this area. And it's just, I, as soon as I saw it, I just started salivating. I wanted to get me in the water. I love to explore. I did some research on this. There's a whole bunch of indigenous species of fish there that nowhere else in the world. And I was just... Let's go. And so I had my boys. I had had uh, my wife and, and my family and had the snorkel gear. We were ready to rock. And we dove in. And it was beyond anything else I had seen. And we're swimming along. We're looking at all these things. And all of a sudden I hear the, my son going on his snorkel because you can't talk through a snorkel. And he's pointing and there's a sea turtle just swimming next to us. I felt I was on Finding Nemo or something. <laughs> Hello, Mr. Sea Turtle. <laughs> but we were exploring. We were discovering. We were having great enjoyment. And we were doing this together. That's compelling. This picture is a picture of, come on in explore. Look, you know what? Heaven is a lot like this. Heaven in the scriptures is mentioned as a place that we ultimately want to have our greatest expectation and anticipation for. That's the place we want to be. That's the place where we'll be at peace with God, the great shalom, the peace of all life and all of the kingdom of God will be. And we get to be a part of that. In the area of sexual integrity, we need to provide a compelling case for that. Paul kind of talks about this in in Titus chapter 2. He says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. I love this. It's like the Hanama Bay of God, this beautiful, glorious splendor of God's grace. It's It's not by works. It's by the completed work of Christ. It's not you trying to do something that impresses God. It's you trusting in what God has already done through Christ. He's appeared. And there's salvation for all people. And what this grace does then, grace becomes our teacher. And grace trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. As we wait for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I love this passage. It just kind of gives us a picture. Here's the bay, and you're going to be in it. 
That's your expectation. That's your anticipation. So right now in your life, create a compelling picture. Live, allow grace to train you in godliness and being upright and being in self-controlled life, especially with worldly passions and sexual immorality in our lives. We're to provide a compelling picture. So let me just ask you, in whatever stage you're in right now, as you think about this topic of sexual integrity, if you're married, can I ask you a quick question? Is your marriage providing a compelling picture to your children and your friends that they might want to jump in on marriage? No nudges. I saw a whole bunch of nudges going on right now. But, it, but is, it, is it providing an... Are you providing a picture to the kids that they might want? I can't tell you. And I've worked in youth ministry for many years. And I think it was the heartbreak of seeing a pristine family on the weekend, but then to hear a confession of a child. Man, I think I want Jesus, but I don't want what my parents have. I don't want what my parents have. They scream at each other, and they put on a smile when I'm in the room, but I hear those arguments at night. They scream at each other at church, and when they show up, everyone's happy. Everyone's so happy and excited to be here. But I know what they said to each other during the week. Are we providing a compelling picture of that? Some of our greatest wounds happen in our family in this area. We need to prov- that means, you know what that means? If I'm going to provide a compelling picture, that means I quit looking at porn. Because that's not a compelling picture of sexual integrity inside of marriage. That means definitely, definitely it means I don't cheat on my wife. I don't flirt with another relationship on the side because my wife's not doing this for me. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So my kids need to see a constant picture of me giving myself up for my wife. And wives, your kids need to see a picture of a sensitivity and a love that sacrifices for her husband in the same way that a man is called to sacrifice for his wife. The picture we're painting of marriage, it needs to be compelling. We need to be faithful to each other. Marriage is not easy. I I had no idea how selfish I was until I tried to love someone else besides myself. And then we had kids. (laughs) So love requires giving. Lust, show up to get. Love, Stay forever, got to endure, be faithful. But that's what a valuable, priceless relationship and covenant is. If you're single here today, are you providing a picture, a compelling picture of being single? And I just have to apologize to you because I've been in the church ever since I've grown up. And there have been churches I've been a part of where single was equated to second class. A second-class Christian, that if you were single, the comments are like this. <laughs> Don't, doesn't a pretty girl like you have a nice husband? Man, you have no idea. <laughs> Sorry I went south there, okay, on my accent. <laughs> I grew up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I heard that, okay? It was more like, why doesn't someone have a girl like you? <laughs> <laughs> a little more nasally. <laughs> but the comments we make are totally insensitive to where God has you in life. Do you know Jesus came as a single man? He lived and died as a single man. I know some of you are going, yeah, but that's God. doesn't matter. 
Now, the Apostle Paul, the greatest advancer of the gospel in the history of the world, was a single man, and he wished everyone to be single like he was because it just didn't have any strength so he could go and advance the gospel. And he was, his greatest longing, his greatest desire, his deepest fulfillment was Jesus Christ. And he gave his life. I want to be like Paul, a single man, as a married man. Because he sold out to Christ. Let me tell you a story. When I was 25 years old, I was in seminary. And the church kind of had a standard at that time that if you're going to be a pastor of a church, you need to have a wife. And I was in my third year of seminary. I didn't have a wife. And I was serving as a youth pastor in a church. And it had 400 people and two singles. And I was one of them. The other one was a dude. And that just wasn't going to happen, okay? So... I, I was so frustrated. I said, God, I've given my life to you and you need to give me a wife. And what I found I was doing, I was worshiping marriage. I was worshiping marriage. I'd have nightmares that I would say, I do. And then Jesus would return. So I didn't get my honeymoon night. Okay. (laughs) What are you doing? I'd be so upset. And God really confronted me as I read the scriptures. And I read in Matthew chapter six, where Jesus is telling his disciples, He said, do you know how many sparrows there are and the birds of the air there are? Not one of them falls to the ground without me knowing. Do you know the lilies of the field, the the flowers on the field? Do you know how beautiful they are? They're, They're more beautiful than Solomon, the richest, wisest man ever was. And they wither. They're gone tomorrow. How much more valuable to me are you than they? And that melted my heart to know I was loved and priceless and valued and significant by my God. And so I wrote in the margin at that time. I said, God, I give you my infatuation and love to be married. And I'm, I want to fall deeper in love with you. I want to know what it looks like to have my greatest longing, you. And would you give me the joy and companionship and relationship in you that I'm longing for in a wife. And you know what? It didn't happen like there was no magical fairy that showed up and go, I bless you with companionship with God. But I just found as I started weaning myself off of the worship of marriage and started worshiping Jesus more, I just saw a deeper dependence in God. I saw a deeper love for him in my life. And when God finally brought in Cheryl Smith, can you imagine that? Cheryl Smith, she gave up Smith for Hishma. She gave that up for me. Hishma, you just sneeze. Hishma comes out, right? She gave that up. But here's the deal. At that time, I loved God more than I loved Cheryl. When I married Cheryl, I loved God more than I loved her so that I could love her the way he loves her. And that was worth it. That was worth it. Singles, we need to provide a compelling picture to be patient because most all sexual immorality is around us not wanting to wait on God, us not wanting to wait on our spouse, us not wanting to wait on the development of someone else or to have them get in the mood or whatever it is. And so we act out on our own desires and it reaps destruction and we drink the water that poisons our lives. We've got to provide a better picture of patience Because here's the truth, the full-on truth. Even when I worshiped marriage and got married, I realized there were still some things in my life that were not fulfilled in marriage alone. 
And God brought me to the end of myself when he gave me a wonderful gift of my wife. And I mean, I think she's an awesome woman and I love her deeply and I'm committed and covenanted to her till death do we part. But I still need Jesus in my life. And I still need friendships in my life. She's not my one and only friend. Church, we need to provide a good picture of same-sex, non-sexual friendships that are deep and vulnerable. Our world stinks at relationships. Just stinks at relationships. We like to show the best about us and hide the worst about us. That's not vulnerable. That's not open. That doesn't fulfill any desire and friendship to be fully known and loved anyway. God loves us like that, and we're called to love each other while we speak the truth in love to each other. It's terribly important that we give a compelling picture to provide a spiritual imprint in a sexually charged world. Finally, we need to be compassionate. We need to be compassionate. Because here's the truth. We're all broken sexually. I know it's easy for the church over the past several years to just point out the issue with homosexuality and homosexual marriage and all that kind of stuff and the gender wars, all that kind of stuff. But here's the picture. We're all broken. We're all broken. And so just like anything else we deal with, we've got to come to Jesus and ask him to heal us. We've got to come to him and say, fix me. My mind is broken. My heart is broken. My body is broken. I need you. I need you. Just like we sang before I came up here. I need you. We need our greatest longing. And so what that means is that we hold to a clear picture of sexual integrity while we also love others who are struggling. At one of his most bold statements in the New Testament about sexual immorality, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, I'll come back to that, 1 Corinthians 6, he says this, Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That's really strong, isn't it? Talked to a guy one time who went to this passage and tore it out of his Bible. He didn't like it at all. That's one way to read the Bible. Just tear out all the passages you don't like. But it's in there. And so we have to live under its authority. So it's a difficult thing to hear, especially if you're struggling with something within those words there. But just in case you can live or you want to live with arrogance, it also says greedy. (laughs) Hi, I'm Joe. I can struggle with that from time to time. And then he goes, he moves, and he talks with the grace of God. He says, "And and such were some of you. See how the circle gets a lot larger? Such were, but you've been washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. See, none of us can boast on our performance. None of us can boast on our personal purity because all of us fall on grace. We all fall on the work of Jesus in our lives who washed us, who sanctified us and justified us in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. To be washed literally means to be made clean with the pure and precious water of the fountain of life, Jesus. To be sanctified means that you're repurposed. You're no longer set apart for this world in ungodliness and sexual immorality. You're repurposed for God's holiness and God's honor to reflect his glory and the worth he has given you and the purpose he has for you. 
and you are justified, which means God calls you family. It's a right standing with God. You're no longer displaced. You're in his family. And that's how we are. And so church, I know we're going to speak boldly and clearly on this, but we want to love people well. And as I talk to people who wonder where we're at on this topic and uh, come in and say, validate my life, I go, you know what? This is what the scriptures say. I cannot deny the scriptures, but I want to love you well here. I want to love you well. I want to love someone who's addicted to alcohol more than they love alcohol. I want to love someone who is materialistic. I want to love them more than they love Amazon Prime. I do. I want to love someone who's practicing homosexuality more than they love homosexual sin. I want to love someone who's addicted to porn more than they love porn. And in doing so, I want to give them a picture of the love of God for them. God didn't wait till our lives got spick and span before he loved us. He loved us while we were dead in our trespasses and our sin. And church, we need to be that beacon of hope and light. Not compromising the truth, but going all in on love. So these are our values as a church. We want to be clear. We want to be consistent. We want to be compelling. We want to be compassionate. This is how we will lead people to make a spiritual imprint in a sexually charged world. So let me ask you this. A church is defined... Not as a building. God has blessed us with a wonderful building. But this is not the church. This is a place the church meets. Who's the church? You're the church. Why did we talk about this for four weeks? Because you're the church. And we want, to, we want to equip the saints for the works of ministry. And you are the followers of Jesus Christ. So these are values for you to be equipped in and for you to follow. So let me ask you the questions. Number one, do you clearly know the scriptures in the heart of God for you spiritually? That you are valued beyond anything money could buy. You are priceless and you are eternal. And do you know your first identity to which God calls you, your spiritual identity to long and to love and to follow him? Do you know what he says about sexual integrity? And secondly, are you consistent in that? None of us are going to be perfect None of us are perfect in this area. But are we at least committed to being consistent that the word will change us through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Are you living a compelling life? If you're saying no to the, to the world, is your yes something that your wife wants more of or your husband wants more of? Is your yes giving something that your kids want in on? Or you just get angry when you talk about this topic. I told you before, I grew up in a church. They would talk about this topic and they go, let's talk about sex tonight. Don't, let's pray. <laughs> they gave no compelling vision of the word of God and the heart of God for this area. And therefore, unequipped people will follow whatever is out there, whatever itching ears want to hear. And so we wanted to be compelling and we wanted to be compassionate. We have dropped the ball on this area, and sometimes the only thing the world hears is us yelling and shouting. We are the church of Jesus Christ, the bride of Christ. We want to be compassionate because we represent the truth of God and the love of God in our world today. Let's pray for these values, 
but pray more so that the Holy Spirit would take his word and, and build us a greater longing and a love for Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time with my family here. And thank you that you call us family and that you give us a picture, a compelling picture of us as the bride and Christ as the groom. And you are preparing us for the greatest, the greatest consummation of all time when Jesus returns. May we be a people who are committed to saving our lives, to make you the greatest thing about it, to invest deeply in your word and your will for us that we might know and understand you and love you with all of ourselves. We trust you. Holy Spirit, have freedom in our lives. Move us, convict us, lead us into sexual integrity. For it's in Christ's name I pray and for his glory we live. Amen.